Please join with me in opening your Bible to Mark chapter 6. It will be found on page 974 in your pew Bible. Page 974, we're going to read verses 7 through 13, or part of 13, that is. Please read along with me. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. And this was his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the town. And if anyone will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that the people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. May God bless this reading of his word today. Short-term mission trips are always a very interesting experience. Has anybody gone on a short-term mission trip here? We have a few here, okay. I've gone on many of these with my previous churches. I feel like each one helps me grow, and one of the ways that that happens is by getting me outside of my comfort zone. We all have our comfort zone, our bubbles, our normal lives, things that we feel very comfortable about, and then we go on a mission trip, and suddenly we are usually well beyond that. There was a year that I got way outside of my comfort zone on a mission trip. It was a year that we took 40 teenagers to Indianapolis. In fact, that was the year Jeremiah was born, and and Joy came down and brought baby Jeremiah with us. We brought 40 teenagers to Indianapolis, split up into teams, to go around and do different community service projects. One of these projects had to do with uh, renovating houses, repairing houses, as halfway houses for convicts coming out of prison and re-entering society. So one of the things I didn't know, it wasn't explained to me fully before we got our group there, and I only found out after the fact, was that my teenagers would be working alongside of the ex-convicts. The ex-convicts were also there helping to uh, create better houses and build the houses and whatnot. So I found out that afterwards, I said, oh man, uh, I hope this is safe, but at least at the end of the day, I thought. At the end of the day, they're all getting back to the church, and we can keep them inside the safe walls. We'll sleep here in the church. I'll lock the door. I feel at least I'm keeping them safe here, at least until Thursday. Thursday came around, and we had our worship service. It was a very, we were looking forward to this all week long, because Thursday night we knew was always the special worship service time. And I told the teenagers, I said, this week you will lead the worship service. We'll have a Quaker service where the, everybody gets to participate. So if you want to read a scripture, you want to do a prayer, you want to sing a song, you guys get to choose that. So they were very excited about that. And we got in, and so they were streaming in from the different groups. They were coming back to the church. We were starting to gather for worship. And again, nobody, nobody bothers to ever tell pastors anything. I don't know if you, any of your previous pastors ever griped about this, but nobody ever tells us anything. So as we're getting there to, to worship, Suddenly, some big, burly men walk in the door. I go, um, excuse me, can I help you? And they said, we're here to worship. I mean, they, they had scars, they had tattoos, uh, they were missing several sleeves, and the t- teenagers from that project said, Pastor Justin, Pastor Justin, 
we invited them to come worship with us. Isn't that the best? And I'm like, yeah, that's the best. And so they came and they sat with us. And I'm, I, was on, I remember just being on edge for the first half an hour of that worship, just kind of always kind of looking over. I'm like, man, I just don't feel like this is safe. You know, I know it's not dangerous, but I felt very uncomfortable, like this is our space. And I felt like about a half an hour in, God was just tapping me on the shoulder and said, Justin, I said, what? He said, look, this is what I'm talking about. Your teenagers are practicing the Great Commission right now. They are going out, they're sharing the gospel, and they are drawing my children into the church to hear my word. And I went, fine. All right, God, you win this round. He's like, Justin, I win every round. I like, no. But they got the gospel out. And I, I just, I remember feeling like that moment was a breakthrough in our mission trip that took it to a, a much deeper level. And right here in our passage today that we're reading about in Mark 6, it's a breakthrough, a breakthrough that takes the ministry of Jesus and, t- and takes the ministry of the church to a deeper level as Jesus takes his, uh, his disciples on a short-term mission trip. It's time for these men to take what they had learned so far in the gospel with their journey along with Jesus, to take that learning and to go out into the field to actually practice ministry. And I think that this, uh, this passage here encourages us in our own efforts to go out and to get the gospel message out. So as I've said before, that most rabbis of the time, most of the learned, respected rabbis, usually set up shop in a particular town. They would, just, they would be there, and people would come around to learn from them and to hear from them, but they never traveled. Jesus was very different in this regard. In fact, we call him an itinerant rabbi. He would travel on a circuit and go around from village to village, sharing with other people. In fact, when we think of the Great Commission's call to go, we should think first and foremost of Jesus. How Jesus was always going because he knew that in the next village and the village after that and the village after that, there were people who needed to hear the word of God. And up to this point in Mark, we've seen hints at how Jesus had been preparing his disciples for the day that they would go on the Great Commission and to fulfill that. In chapter 3 of Mark, we saw that how Jesus gathered his 12 and appointed them to preach and to do miracles. In chapter 4, Jesus said that these 12 men specifically would have the power to understand the mystery of the kingdom of God. In chapter 5, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him when they go into the house of the dead girl. So he trains that that specific core of leadership within the 12. So he's been training these 12 men. But finally, that hands-off training is coming to a point where he wants them to go out and actually practice ministry themselves. So at the start of the passage we read today, Jesus gathers together his his crew, his, his core group of 12 disciples, of many disciples, by the way. Never get into the mindset where Jesus only had 12 disciples. He had a lot of them. But out of those, he had 12 very special ones. And he announces to them that it would be time for them to take a break with traveling with Jesus and to go out themselves into the region and to preach and to to proclaim the the message of God. Yet notice how Jesus doesn't just say, yeah, you've been watching me for a while. Okay, go, go. Instead, Jesus prepares them. And how he prepares them is very important because Jesus, before he sends them out, elevates these 12 disciples 
into apostle. Now, here's something a lot of Christians in the church don't know, or we get confused a lot, and we, we conflate being a disciple with being an apostle. We think those are one and the same. They are not. A disciple is a learner. An apostle is literally one who is sent by God. All apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. Have I confused you yet? Yes. No. Okay, you got this straight. All apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. So Jesus takes these 12, he basically, it's like when you get knighted by the queen, and she says, you are now Sir Justin of Canterbury, or whatever like that. You suddenly are elevated to a new status, and that is what Jesus is doing here. He takes these 12, and he not only gives them this new status, he says you are now apostle, he gives them this authority that goes with it. What's an apostolic authority? I don't know if you've ever heard of that phrase, apostolic authority. But basically it means an apostle is one who is sent by God. God is saying, this person is going on my behalf to share the word. Whatever they say is from me. So it's basically God sending out his personal ambassadors. And Jesus saying, I am appointing you 12 to be my ambassadors. So whatever you say on behalf of God will come true. Whatever power you have will come from God. So he's, he's, he's knighting them here as a direct representative. Now, just make sure you're listening. How many apostles are there? Wrong! That is a pastoral trick question. You're going to get one of those every once in a while. There are 12 that he just appointed to become apostles, but the actual, the actual number of apostles at this point in the gospel is 13. Because Jesus is the chief apostle. Yeah, you should always be looking for the trick question. In fact, in John 12, 49, Jesus says this, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me, remember apostle is one who has been sent, the Father who sent me commanded to say all that I have spoken. Jesus is the chief apostle. He is speaking on behalf of the Father. So if you've been filling out that Jesus roll bingo card that seems to be getting bigger and bigger every week, you can now add apostle to, uh, let's see, what do we have? Prophet, priest, king, healer, and teacher. These are all the the terms and the roles that we have heard for Jesus so far, so far in Mark, and we're only up to chapter 6. Jesus is also an apostle who is training up these fledgling apostles. This special authority that Jesus gives them isn't the only help that he also gives them for their mission trip. What else does he do? He sends them out in pairs. Now, I was kind of contemplating that, and I thought, well, that's a really nice thing Jesus did for them. Sends them out in pairs so that they have a companion. But the companionship, I think, is only part of it. It's nice to have somebody with you when you're on a mission trip. Doing missions by yourself is a very hard endeavor. So having somebody there who can identify with you and encourage you That's a good thing, and protect you, and stand watch at night for the snakes, whatever needs to happen. But also because Jesus knew that you would need a witness. Back then, both the Bible and the law of the time said that if something happened and people wanted to verify that it was true, you would have to have a witness. So if somebody said something, you want to say, well, did they really say it? Yes, because Dave was here, and Dave heard me say it. He was my witness. Or did I do that thing? Did I perform an actual miracle? Or am I just making that up? Yes, because Sue saw me perform that miracle, and she's my witness. 
So that is why Jesus is deliberately sending them in twos, so that when they come back and report not just to him and to everybody, there would be witnesses backing up the veracity of what was done. So that we see here that Jesus helped to get the gospel out with his authority and companionship. But what about us? Jesus is sending us out into the mission field. How does he prepare us? I think he does in two very specific ways. First of all, he prepares us by learning. We read the Bible on our own. We have our own devotions and Bible studies. But also inside the church environment, we have our our Bible studies. We have Sunday school. And we have what you're listening to right now, the sermon. This is always, this is all part of ways that we are preparing you intellectually to know the Bible, to, to expand your knowledge of who God is, to grow in your faith. But also, we have people in the church that can encourage you. We have prayers in the church and ways that we have practical ways that when we're sending you out to do ministry, the church can also support you. The first and primary role of the church and of Knox is to worship God. This is what we are here to do right now. We are here to worship God. But the second purpose is to fulfill the Great Commission. And that's to take that worship and take that knowledge and go and share it with others. And Jesus, as he did with his apostles, is not saying just go without my help. He's saying I am giving you everything you possibly need to go out and share the gospel. All right, here's a, here's a, here's a test here. If you're sitting with your husband and wife, do not glance accusatorily at them when I ask this question. Are you a heavy packer or a light packer when you go on trips? Stay straight ahead. I'm just asking you specifically. When you go on trips, do you pack heavy or do you pack light? Um, I, I could throw some shade here at um, particular people I'm married to. I won't. I am a light packer. I like being a light packer. But let me tell you, when I went on short-term mission trips with teenagers, there were always two or three kids that would show up the day we left, and they would be grunting, and their parents would be grunting because they would be carrying duffel bags duffel bags so big, and I'm not exaggerating here, I could have fit in these duffel bags with room to spare. Biggest things ever. I'm like, how long did you, are we moving somewhere? I mean, these are, no, no, we're just, we're going on a mission trip, Pastor Justin. I'm like, yeah, but what's in there? Like a tent? I mean, this is so big, these huge bags. And people just overpack and overprepare like crazy. And I I don't want to, I don't want to stereotype here, so I'll just say, that these were always girls, <laughs> always teenage girls who would bring these giant buffalo. The boys had another problem. Some boys would show up with like a plastic bag with a t-shirt and maybe a toothbrush if you were lucky. And then they'd go like, they'd go, what? I'm like, really? That's all you're, okay, never mind. Their, their, their barrets are already gone. So, so when I read Jesus' packing instructions here, I, my mind goes right back to some of those teenage girls. If Jesus had told them, this, okay, I'm going to send you out on a week for a mission trip. This is what you're going to bring. Um, just the clothes you're wearing, a walking stick, and your shoes on your feet, nothing else. I think those girls would have fainted away dead on the spot. And some of those boys would have been like, well, there goes the bag, Jesus. I'm, I'm ready to go. This is what Jesus is telling the apostles to bring. Like he, I, I envisioned that right here in this passage, he gathers them together, says, you're going to go, I'm elevating you to apostles, and they go, okay, Jesus, well, when are we going? Right now. Like, go. You don't need anything else. Go. He's sending them out right then. In fact, these are the same packing instructions that God gave to the Israelites back in Exodus. 
right before, remember the Passover, and he says, at any moment now, I'm going to lead you out of here. I'm going to lead you out of slavery. So I want you to be ready at a moment's notice. Have your walking sticks by the front door. And when I say go, you leave the front door and you go. You don't pack up. You don't just go. He wants us to be ready at a moment's notice. It kind of made me think of, of the Revolutionary War and our, the Minutemen, you know, at a minute's notice, be ready to go. So God, he's, he's, he wants them to travel fast. He wants them to, to be light. He, there's a sense of speed here. That Jesus doesn't really want them to kind of, you know, say, well, get back to me in a week, and then we'll go. He says, these people need you now. Go out now into the mission field. There's not a moment to waste. We need to save some souls right here. So they're, they're told to go out. In fact, with these, these light packing instructions, they're forced to rely on God, to trust God for everything, to provide everything for their trip. They have no recourse. If, if they show up somewhere and nobody takes them in, well, they don't even have a second tunic to wrap themselves up like a sleeping bag and sleep under the stars. If they, they go to a place and nobody feeds them, well, they have no money. They have no money to buy food. So they have to rely on God. In fact, this gets them into a completely different mindset where this isn't their mission trip. It's not Peter's mission trip. It's not James's mission trip. It's God's mission trip. God says, I will provide. I'm, I'm going to provide the places you're going to stay. I'm going to provide the food that you're going to eat. I'm even going to provide. I've been, I've been planting seeds of my word into the hearts of people so that when you go out and you call people to repentance, people will come right to you. The harvest is right there. So go. It says, this is my trip. And this took them outside of their comfort zones. I think even for the, the apostles, who were very hardy men, used to sleeping outside, used to living in an era where they didn't have air conditioning, they didn't have comfortable sneakers. But even this took them outside of their comfort zone. Saying day by day, they would have to rely on God for everything. One of the very first mission trips I ever went on was to a Mexican border town. And when we were there, we stayed with a family, but because we had so many people on this trip, he said, we can't fit you inside our house. You have to sleep outside in the backyard. And this is, you know, Mexico, it's a desert. It's, it gets really cold at night. So we're there bags, and we're feeling very uncomfortable. Felt a little more uncomfortable when a couple scorpions decided to get warm with us during the night. But I'll tell you, the weirdest thing happened the next day. That discomfort helped get us into a mindset of being servants. Like, we're like, yeah, we're discomfort, you know, we're, this, we're outside of our comfort zone, but in a good way. Like, we're here to serve people. We're not here to be comfortable. We're here to go and proclaim the, the word of God. And it got us into that servant-like attitude. And Jesus is also, he's preparing them. He says, it's going to be a hard trip for you guys. There are some people who are going to oppose you. I mean, that's a pep talk, right? Get out there, guys. Some people are going to hate you for my word says there are going to be some people who will reject you. In fact, Jesus is coming off, remember last week, his own rejection from Nazareth, where his own hometown rejected him, rejected his message. And he tells the disciples, he says, when you go out, some people will be for me and will listen to you, and some people will be against you and will reject me. I think that for us it's good to hear those words because we know that's how it is in the world. When we share our faith, when we share our testimony, when we invite people into the church, we get a degree of rejection. We get a degree of people looking at us and saying, please keep your faith to yourself. That's really uncomfortable to hear. Or, you know, God, I, I have issues with God. I don't want to hear about your God. Or they, you invite them to church and they go, no, 
and then you feel really foolish for maybe of inviting them in the first place. Well, what Jesus is saying that here is that some people, while they won't listen to you, some will. And those people are worth the uncomfortableness. They are worth getting outside of your comfort zone. They are worth getting out there and sharing the message of the word. I'm sure we've all done a trust fall sooner or later in our life, maybe when we're younger. Not going to do one right now, don't worry, some, some nervous faces. But there's that moment when you're doing a trust fall, and when you're starting to go back, and your mind's going, they're not going to catch me, are they? They're really not going to catch me. They're really going to let me fall, and I'm going to get a concussion, and they're going to laugh at me. That's what's going to happen. And then in, you feel the arms come around you. And then you, and then you have that realization that that person was there for you all along, that they had you, they had your back, that no matter what, they were there for you. And that is a lesson Jesus was trying to always teach, first the apostles and then us, that no matter what, when we go out to share the gospel message, he has our back. He provided for the apostles, he'll provide for us. He was there to prepare the mission field for the apostles, he's there to prepare it for us. It's not, it's not a futile action. He will give you what you need. And finally, we need to get out to where the people are. This short passage concludes by showing us that the apostles did, in fact, go out and have a very successful mission trip. We, we, we really give the apostles a lot of grief in the Gospels when we read it. And we say, man, they're always talking back to Jesus and their faith is weak. But let's give them some credit here. They obey Jesus. They go on this mission trip. And there is a strong degree of success here. It says that they, they preached People repented that they were performing miracles left and right. They were, they were doing what Jesus did out in the community. And that was amazing. That must have been such a, an instructive time for them, an eye-opening time for the apostles to go out and see that even though Jesus wasn't there holding their hands, being at their training wheels, that Jesus was still with them. He was still performing the miracles through them. He was still giving them the words to say, as they preached and, and, and talked with the people. It was also eye-opening because they saw that there was a need for the gospel in communities that they hadn't visited yet. That there was a hunger there. That there were people who were drowning in their sins. People desperate for, for forgiveness and salvation. And for God that loved them. That when they went there and they saw that hunger, that, that people just flocked to them, eager to hear that. It was good for them to, to hear, to know that, there were people out there like that. So that when Jesus asked them to fulfill the Great Commission, they went, yeah, you remember that time we went out on that week mission trip, that week-long mission trip, how hungry people were? I bet people are like that all over the world. In fact, Jesus says the whole world would become their mission field. I was almost every, every year when I did a mission trip, I was almost always asked, why are we going to some other town on a mission trip when there are people that we could help right here? I said, you know, the reason why isn't for them. It's for us. I told them, that, I told parents to their faces, I said, we're doing this for your kids because your kids, A, need to get outside their comfort zone so that they could serve like Christ served. But B, because they need to see that other people need the gospel. They need to see that this, the, the people who need help are everywhere, that, the, that we just need to have this mentality of no matter where we go, we are in the mission field. And that sort of lesson can only really be experienced firsthand. It's not something that you can be told from the pulpit and really understand until you've done it yourself. 
It's this kind of uh, mentality that drives forward missions work today. I know Knox is a very mission-centric church. It's one of the things that attracted me to come here. And I think we all have that desire to see the mission of Jesus pressed forward. A year ago, there was a missionary that made national, worldwide headlines, actually, uh, because his name was John Chow. You probably even heard this story. He was a missionary who decided it was on his heart to go to an island in the Indian Ocean, North Sentinel Island. And on North Sentinel Island lives a tribe of natives who have never heard the gospel message. They have been isolated from community. In fact, the uh, Indian government has declared a quarantine zone around the island. They said, you know, we've, we've tried to go in there and see if they were interested in getting with civilization. They're not, so we're just going to protect them and leave this kind of bubble around them. Well, John Chow decided that, no, the, it was on his heart that he needed to get the gospel message to these people. The Great Commission says to go to all the world, not to everything but this island. So he went there. He defied the orders of the government, and he went there. He landed on the beach. He made a lot of preparations. He was very smart about what he did. But even so, the hostile natives um, ended up killing him very early on. And John Chow became a martyr. And if you looked at the national headlines, the worldwide headlines, they were almost always the same thing. That it was an irresponsible Christian who defied the law and went and got himself killed when he should have just stayed home. And I thought this is a very unfair way of looking at it. It's a very world, worldly way of looking at it. But the way a Christian looks at it is saying, God gave us this great commission. It's on our heart. We have a holy calling to go out into all the world. And John was trying to fulfill that as best he could, to get that message out to everybody. And where you need to go is where the people are at. Jesus had a zeal to spread the gospel mission, but he didn't just stay in Capernaum. He didn't just stay in Nazareth. He went to where the people were at. We have to go. And I think that's one of the hardest things for us. Is we, it's hard enough for us to sometimes come to church, to go to church on Sunday morning, but then for us to turn around and say, now go out into your community and spread the gospel to everyone. That's hard. That's hard for us to do. A lot of times we just look and we go, well, that's why we got missionaries. That's why we've got a pastor. That's why we've got like, the guy sitting down the pew from me who's really good at that sort of thing. But not me, surely, God. Not me. And Jesus says, well, do you follow me? Yes. Then you need to fulfill the Great Commission. Your mission field can be your family. Your mission field can be next door. It can be down the street. It can be Sheridan Parkside. It could be a short-term mission trip somewhere else. It could be a lot of places. But no matter what, you need to go. We need to get out. We need to get past this mentality of thinking that, well, the church is here and the sinful people will just come in and they'll percolate and they'll come in and they'll get the gospel they need and then they'll be saved. And we don't have to do a single thing. That's not how it works. By my experience, and I've been in church a long time, God does lead people to church. But again, over 80% of people who come to church are invited by other people because those people fulfilled the Great Commission. And they invited somebody to church. Very, very, very few people ever will come to church on their own. We need to share it with God's help. And the good news is that this is doable. That Jesus gives us that help. That gets us to trust in God for our journey. And takes us to where the people are who need to hear it. The mission field is waiting for us today. 
brothers and sisters. I will be praying for you. I'll be there to cheer you on. I hope you, you cheer me on and you pray for me because we're all in this work together. God's with us just as he was with the apostles going on those roads and they came back and they saw amazing things. They had great stories to tell. I think church is a time when we should get back together and we should tell other people like this amazing thing happened in faith this past week. I saw God work here and I saw God work here and I just want to share it with you. Let's do that this week. Let's go out. Let's share the message of the gospel however God wants us to and puts it on your heart. Come back here next week and share how God works in in that endeavor with us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please anoint us with your spirit. Give us the boldness to go out and share the gospel to those who need it. Lord, we know there are so many lost people in Buffalo today and around us and in our families, people we care about, but more importantly, people you care about, Lord, people you love, people you made, people you know who are just wandering around, who are hungry for the word. Lord, we know the mission field is ready. Help us to be the ones who will step out on faith, who invite people to see your love and hear your word. Help us to share our testimony. Help us to have the, know the right words to say by giving us those words through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we, just, we ask that you would just put that zeal that you had and the apostles had to share this. Put that zeal on our hearts today. That we would go out not because we feel guilty, guilted into doing it, but because we genuinely want to share this good news with other people. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now receive the benediction. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for you and one another for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. All God's people said, Amen. Go in peace.